Okay, thank you very much, Sam. You always remind me of the right things. Okay, good morning. The uh, entire boot camp series has been sponsored by Ilana Mark Rothenberg, Rachel Feiner, memory of Ilana Rachel's father, Ezreal Benyako Feiner. I bumped into someone from the Feiner family that doesn't live here in town. They listen every week, so uh, nice to hear you in Israel. So what I want to try to do, nothing against Pashas Vayikra. I love Pashas Vayikra and Pashas Sav, but uh, for the next two weeks you'll have to listen carefully in shul because I want to have this week boot camp dedicated to uh, Purim. I could tie it into Tzav, but I'm going straight with Purim. I have so much to say and I only have till uh, 9 o'clock. I think 8.10 is the next minya. And uh, then next week is Shushan Purim. So why not do Shushan Purim? And uh, I was up a lot. I can't sleep when I go to Israel. I dive in Vasikin, not because I'm such a firm guy, but uh, when you have jet lag and Vasikin's at 5.30, it works out. So almost everything today is going to be at least Torah that I picked up in Eretz Yisrael. Chidushim to me. One piece will be an old one. You know, they give out these parsha sheets, just like they do here. You know, but in Israel... There's so many parsha sheets that are in the back of a shul, and on those parsha sheets you can figure out which hotels to stay at, which vacations to stay at, which cars to buy. I don't know exactly how logically what you're allowed to do. So I picked up one parsha sheet. I saw something so fascinating from the uh, gro- it's na- it said in the name of the Besht, in the Baal Shem Tov. I didn't find it inside, but a lot of things that we have from the Baal Shem Tov, so I'm starting with Hasidish piece of Torah, but it ties into halacha, were said by students, but we, I'm going to trust because it's a reliable sheet that this was the Baal Shem Tov. So there are many different reasons that are given for dressing up on uh, Purim. When you have many different reasons, it means we probably don't know the real reason. And, but there are many reasons. And I even get shilas every year about could I dress up like so-and-so. You know, it's one of the things that's interesting. I happened to be in Meisharim last Friday. Um, buying my future son-in-law a couple of talesim, and I see they have Santa Claus, you know, costumes, right? Because the, you have little Hasidish kids walk around like the, the Santa Claus and the elves. If somebody walked into shul here in Santa Claus, I don't know if they would have the right reaction. So it's, have you seen that? Like, so that's, that's what it is. The Christmas decorations are out, and um, so it's fascinating. So the question that was asked by the, the Besht is why do you dress up for Purim? And this is a, I think this is an incredible thing. So we have a halacha when it comes to Matanas uh, Levionim, according to most, that, that you don't really check the credentials. It's what it says. Anyone who sticks out their hand, you want to give to them. Now, it's a little bit complicated. I was discussing this with Rabbi Wine. He told me something from Rabbi Yosef Engel. At the end, if that's the policy, so then you may not actually satisfy Matanus Levionim. If everybody's sticking out the hand, it doesn't really deserve it. So there are those that say you have to make sure at least one person's in Evian. But then there's another issue that the Besh brings. If everybody's sticking out the hand, there's going to be more and more people are openly collecting tzedakah, and we're giving more then you end up losing out on one of the values of tzedakah because one of the values that's associated with tzedakah is to try to do it as, as, non, as anonymously as possible, both from the giver and from the recipient. We don't want to shame, especially because of the recipient, we don't want to shame the recipient. So that's why the ideal tzedakah, it's, it's the way it really works through the charity fund. When you give your money, matanas lavionim, to me, right, you're not giving it to me, I'm able to find those aniyim. 
and they don't necessarily know who it's coming from. It doesn't say your name and so name, and you know, it's done more or less anonymously, except that they know it's coming from Congregation Get the Torah. So the Besh said that the reason for dressing up on Purim, now again, it's hard to imagine this was the original reason, but this is what he suggests, is to maintain the highest level of tzedakah. Because what happens? The guy is dressed like Santa, right? Or the guy is dressed like uh, whatever the, the big costume is going to be. So he doesn't even know the Yanni who's giving it to him. And what's even better is the giver doesn't know the Yanni because the Yanniim also dress up. They're not dressed up like Yanniim. Even Yanniim, I guess we have to get them costumes. And it ends up, The giver and the recipient don't know each other, but tzedakah hofechas lios matam beseser. I thought it was a tremendous idea of the Baal Shem Tov, what would happen in, in communities, the shame factor. Now you should know that according to many, and I, I, this goes to Risha, to Truma Sadeshen, it's a similar idea we have when it comes to Mishloach Manos. You know, Purim is supposed to bring people together, and I'm giving you some examples over here of how we bring the community together by not shaming each other. Rabbi Sachs, you know, before he passed away, wrote a lot about this culture today we have is the shame culture. It's very, uh, through social media, through a person made one mistake in his life 30 years ago, it's on Google. We try to go away. Obviously, sometimes you have to call out predators, etc., but we try to go out of our way not to embarrass people. So why do we give Mishloach Manos? You know, there's a famous Machlokas. There are two famous reasons. that There are really six, five or six reasons out there, but one of the reasons is, is similar to Matanas Lavionim. I discussed this the other night about giving Matanas Lavionim to someone who's on mi- minus in their bank account. But Mishloach Manos, according to the opinion of Trumas Hadeshin, who's a great Rishon, is maybe this person doesn't have enough food for the, his meal. So you go on Purim and you give him stuff. Now, if you know the guy is diabetic, you're not going to, that's why the nafkamin is, you're not going to give him stuff that he can't eat, right? You're not going to try to kill the guy, even if you don't like him, because it's food for the meal. So what ends up happening if you had a system where Mishlach Manos only went to people who needed food for the meal? You'd end up with the more shame. Here we are, Purim, it's the day that's supposed to bring the people together. We don't want to keep Haman right. Am is Mafuzar Mafurat. So it became acceptable that you give everyone. This way there's no shame. So I showed you both with Matanas Levyonim and Mishlach Manos, built into our beautiful halachic system or so many halachas. I'll give you one more that I just thought of now. It wasn't in my prepared notes, but I said this many years ago. Why don't you say a bracha on Mishlach Manos? I mean, it is a, I know sometimes the Gabbai gets up and he says you should have in mind Shechianu for Mishlach Manos, but there's no bracha before Mishlach Manos. Why not? So the, uh, the Sri Deish, who was a great uh, Rav, the Sri Deish was a great, a great Rav. I always call him the Sri Deish, then I forget his name, Rabbi Chiel Weinberg who was uh, in Switzerland and a very challenging life. So he says, well, you have to keep in mind the other reason for, my, for Mishlach Manos. The other reason for Mishlach Manos is in order to create a friendship between each other. So that's why I always tell people, the goal of Mishlach Manos is not just to give it to your 10 best friends. You should try to find someone who you don't have a relationship with. Ideally, it would be someone who you had a fight with this year, but most of us didn't have fights with anyone. But it would be a neighbor who may be a non-observant neighbor, and you try, to, you try to show that, you know, we love you anyway, even though, you know, I walk in the middle of the street on Shabbos and you get upset, but, you know, we're all part of one community. 
So why don't you say a bracha? So the three days said, once you're saying a bracha, what you're giving the message to that person is I'm using you. You're like a lulav. You know, you're my lulav, so I say a bracha on you. That's not sincerity, right? I'm doing this in order to be Mekayim in the mitzvah. When it comes to Hashem, I'm, do, I'm saying a bracha of Mekayim in mitzvah. It's the same thing with an ani. Before you, say, you give an ani tzedakah, you don't put your hand on his head and say, oh, I'm glad you came, I'm glad you're poor. This way I get to be Mekayim in mitzvah. So that's issue number one. In the halachas of Purim, there's so many beautiful messages of Beinol Machabeira. Here's the second one. Now this is a little bit old, but then I found an, an incredible grub. The uh, Gra has a parish on, on um, Megillus Esther. Actually, in the art scroll, Megros Gedolos, it has it. Sometimes it's called Ko sometimes it's just called the Be'uri HaGra. So we're going to get to this in a couple of minutes. One of the interesting things, I'll discuss this in a share tomorrow, is Vashti. One of the interesting people is Vashti. I mean, this woman was something else. We're going to read tomorrow. She, she had issues with men. She beat up men, you know, whether they were related to her or not. If you want to come 8.30 tomorrow, you'll hear about it. And the issue was that according to the way the Gemara presents it, and it, there's so many different Midrashim on Esther, in addition to the Gemara, in addition to the Midrashim, there's something called Targum Sheni, which is like, gives us so much opening. And you have different books of Navi that center around this time. You just don't realize that Ezra and Nechemia, they're all connected to this time period, even Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So there's a lot of information that we put together. But the way our kids learn, and it is one approach in Chazal, is that Achashverosh didn't really, uh, he, he wasn't raised to be a king. If anything, he's a story of rags from riches. As much as we like to make him as an idiot, Achashverosh, he was a pretty smart guy. Here's a guy who's from outside, right? He's probably Persian, and he's able to, uh, you know, take over the kingdom, which was from a very powerful Bavel, whether it was from him or through other people. But he's the guy who's sitting. And the, 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 the Megillah makes very clear that he's very powerful. And as much as we like to make fun of him, maybe we'll talk about this next week, even when the Megillah ends, the power is in Achashverosh. You know, Mordechai doesn't go back to Eretz Yisrael. He sticks around because in one minute, Achashverosh, you know, could have another drink or someone else could give him a piece of advice. At the same time, Achashverosh, it's not mutually exclusive. You look at politics today, Achashverosh, as powerful as he was, was extremely paranoid. He was paranoid that somebody was always out to get him. I think uh, my brother once did a paper in graduate school on the psychosis or the psychology of uh, Richard Nixon and other leaders. You know, Nixon didn't even need Watergate. You know, he was so way ahead in the polls, but the people, they always think someone's out to get them. Maybe it's true. So what happens? The Rashi goes out of his way based on a medrash. This is Megillah, if you go through it in Megillah, he wasn't from the royal seed, not even in the Persian royal seed. He found his way in, and he ends up marrying Vashti. And Vashti never forgot his beginning. What were his beginnings? Incredibly, there was an article a few years ago in uh, a journal, AJS, American Jewish Studies. They showed... It's not a Torah source, but they showed from both Persian sources and from Jewish sources that Achashverosh grew up as a stable master. That was his expertise. He really knew how to run the, the, the horses of royalty. He worked for a number of kings. And somehow, you know, it's like the butler ends up getting inside to, uh, what's that called in England, the palace? 
and finds his way all the way, you know, friends with the queen, friends with the princess, and all of a sudden is sitting there on the throne. So what happens? They want to bring out, Achashverosh wants to bring um, Vashti in her birthday outfit, right? To come out, unfortunately, like uh, in, in nudity. And she refuses. And there are all different reasons why she refuses. The kids learn about the tale, which is in Chazal, and we have to understand what that represents. The message that she sends back, according to Chazal, and it's in the Gemara Masechus Megillah, it's in the Medrash as well, that there's no way I'm showing up to you. Because at the end of the day, you are not really a king. You, you being a king, that's just your costume. That's your Purim costume. You're a stable boy, right? And I'm not going to show up in front of you. And the Gra comes along, and the Gra explains. That's why it says in the Pasuk, first, Vayiksov, that he was angry. Now, generally, when people are angry, the anger, uh, you let it out, and then it, it goes away. But it says, V'chamaso ba'arabo, the fire burnt within him. So why did the fire burn within him? So the Gra says, because he was never able to really share with the people at his party what she said to him. You know what it's like in the relationships between husbands and wives. They, every husband and wife knows the vulnerability of the other side. The things you say during fights, not me, but you know, these are the types of things. He always had that one thing over them. Well, he had, she had a pretty big thing over him. And he, he lived, people weren't talking about him as the stable boy, they're talking about him who runs the world. So the Gras says the king was openly incensed that she had refused his order and flew into a rage, but he couldn't come back from it. He couldn't calm down. Obviously, Mamuchan takes advantage of that because he was unable to repeat her embarrassing comments about his personality. What Rabbi Soloveitchik does with this whole piece, I'm combining a lot of different Torahs, and this is something Rabbi Soloveitchik wrote in 1973. A couple of years ago, Rabbi Weil and Rabbi Ganak, I was a little bit involved. We put out a uh, Rabbi Soloveitchik commentary on the Megillah. You'll find some of this in here. I found this article for them from 1973. And Rabbi Soloveitchik says, if you go through the book of the Megillah and the real greatness of Esther and Mordechai, but especially Esther, was an appreciation of how insecure Ahasuerus was from the beginning. And Mamuch, everybody realized, at least the people on top, you got to imagine that there's someone there who's trying to get him. So Mamuchan is able to convince him that his wife wants to get you. And you have Big Son and Sarah who really do want to get after him. And Mordechai puts Esther in the position, but Esther was the most brilliant, because what does she keep doing? She plays to this insecurity, the old stable boy who thinks he's going to lose his position. It's going to come out as past. Maybe he tried to bury it. He had a fake resume, and she invites Haman one time. And then she doesn't say why. And now he's thinking maybe even Haman's against me the second time. So this is a, uh, another point of looking deeper into the story, into the intrigue of the story, and the brilliance of uh, Esther, but also to understand the insecurity. Now, he shouldn't have been insecure. What's so bad? It's a rags to riches story. He was in a position of power, but people sometimes have skeletons in the closet that they don't look at as a positive. It could have been a, a positive, but he looked at it as a negative. I want to give you something from, uh, uh, plays along these lines, from the Akedas Yitzchak. The Akedas Yitzchak is, uh, we call him a Rishon. He lived from 1420 to 1494. He was thrown out of Spain. It's always good to use a commentary commenting on Megillah's Esther, who kind of knew what life was like. I'm not saying this impacted his commentary, but it's hard to imagine that it didn't. So I'm jumping ahead to Parakeh. You know, Haman talks to his own family, 
And Haman's relationship with Zeresh, that's something uh, we'll talk about tomorrow in the year. By Yisapir Lahem Haman as Kavod Oshra Verabbanov. He's talking to his own family and to his advisors, the people that would hang around him, and he recounted to them the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children. He's about to discuss what we have to do with Mordechai. So what's he talking about his bank account for? So the Akedas Yitzchak says that Haman was telling him, I have total control over here. I know how to get rid of Mordechai. Thanks to my wealth, I have many friends. My many children, you guys are going to stick up for me. We know he had the 10 sons, right? So you guys have everything covered. My being elevated above all government officials gives me power. So he has this bravado, which he actually may have believed, that I'm an untouchable, I'm in control. And I have no fear of Esther helping Mordecai because Esther likes me. I'm the one who she keeps inviting. And what happens at the end? Every single one of these pieces, the Akedas Yitzchak, falls on the face. All his illusions get him nowhere. His estate, all his money was given over to Mordechai. His sons were hung. He ends up serving Mordechai and ultimately Mordechai becomes the highest official in the government and it's Esther who exposes. This is a major theme of the, uh, I spoke about this a little bit last night at the Chavar Kedisha event, a major theme, and we'll talk about it tomorrow, is Haman believes that he controls his destiny. And that's not what Bitachon is. Bitachon is that the Rebona Shalom controls our destiny. Obviously, we have to put it in our Hishtadlis. He didn't believe in another power having the opportunity to stick his sense in. Okay, I still have uh, two minutes, right? Two minutes, let's see what we should do in two minutes. Yeah, I'll just give you a nice one from the Alshech, another Risha. <coughs> I want to give you some Hasidish Torah, but maybe we'll have to save that. Now, we'll give you two pieces. So the Alshech says something which is interesting. You'll find this in other places relating to positive personalities. But the Alshech says that uh, what was the advice that was given to Haman? This is Parakei Pasuk Yudalit, if you want to listen to it or write it down. They said to him, you should go out and hire these uh, artisans or whoever, the construction workers, to build the eights. But what, who ends up building the eights? Haman itself. You know, you see this in uh, Chumash. That shows Zrizus, right? When uh, Avraham himself, you know, saddles the, for the Akedas Yitzchak. But you see here with the Russia as well, Vayasa eight. So the Malbim says, this is what happens, Sinema Kalkelas as Ashura, right? That hatred... It, it, it straightens out, it, it actually messes up what usually would be normal. And it wasn't even going to be such a great uh, eights. It was good enough for Haman, but there's even a view that Haman fell off of it. It was such an embarrassment because he didn't have the artisans that built it. I'll leave you with one last thing from the Baditchevo. We're talking these days about the Ukraine. So I picked up a Sefer I quoted last week in boot camp from Eretz Yisrael. It's amazing, a parish from the Baditchevo Rebbe who did not have one town that he was the Hasidish Rebbe of, but he used to travel from town to town. Haman, what does it say about Mordechai? Everybody bowed down except for Mordechai. So we usually think Mordechai was being defiant. The Baditshava argues that Mordechai actually had a special pass on him. The special pass says, I don't have to bow down. That was part of the reward that Achishverosh gave to him. But what does Mordechai say? Mordechai lo he says, even in the future, I'll never bow down to this guy. It's not because I have the past, but I am defiant. The Bravaviner has almost the same idea. What Mordechai was saying is, I'm not looking for any passes. I want to make a statement right to this guy 
that I will never bow down to you. And that's part of where our strength comes from. So the Kedusha Salevi, you know, is the great defender of the Jewish people, is telling us here also we have to be a strong nation, never to bow down to Haman, and to remember the pride that we have to hold on as Jews. Amen.